there was a lot of stuff that was happening locally about these kind of uh, safe drop-off locations for needles and throughout the city in different areas. And it's kind of a unique program here for APD. And so we reached out to um, the chiefs here to kind of talk about it. And thought it'd be interesting to kind of see about how it plays into law enforcement, community health, and all this kind of stuff. So um, I want to open this up with giving you a little background on needle exchange. Um, and before we get into the information, I'm curious what, when we talk about needle exchange, what does that make you think about? Like, it can be a very controversial topic. So what do you know, or what's your opinion about needle exchange? So open that up to everybody to start. I'll start with it. Uh, Lauren Savage with APD. Um, in the past, what I've known of it is there's an area where they have a sharps container where you would take a dirty needle and you would be supplied a clean needle. And there's no questions asked. No, there's no law enforcement action taken. It's just a way to get a dirty needle off the streets and provide a clean needle. Good. That's, I think, the common understanding of needle exchange. Does anybody have anything they would like to add to that or if they think it's a good idea, a bad idea before we go through the information? Jackie, do you guys have a guess? Yeah, I was just about to type in. So actually in North Carolina, we have a unusual nonprofit called North Carolina Harm Reduction, and they do most of the needle exchange they're the major needle exchange for the state there are the small like minivans that drive around and hand out needles but they also do legislation associated with it so they do like if you're overdosing kind of stuff and you call 911 you can't be charged with minuscule amounts or if you tell a law enforcement officer you have a needle on you they can't the law enforcement officer can't um, charge you with the minimal amount which is very vague at this point we're still looking for more clarity on it but so they do legislation to prevent injury from us as well as injury to what you call I guess the offender or the user but they are the main educator and distributor of needles and we have one here but then we do have some of those local ones where they have a van and they drive around and do needle exchange but with ours, it's set times at a homeless day shelter where they do the needle exchange, but they also give them recovery information. Yeah. And then Major Sanchez, what is that uh, Santa Fe Motorcycle Club.org? Major Sanchez, River River County. So I just sent you guys a link to the harm reduction portion of the Santa Fe Mountain Center. Santa Fe Mountain Center is based here in Española. They've been doing needle exchange since 2005. Been doing naloxone um, without prescription since 2013. I think 2013. Um, but there's some real good information there. We've been doing it here um, with quite a bit of success. Um, the program director's name is Phil, is, is very active in what we do as far as our community outreach. And uh, you know, we've seen we've seen a decreased number of, of uh, hepatitis C primarily in River River County since it started. Nice. And Dr. Hatfield, did you want to comment on yours? Yeah, we have um, a couple of organizations here. Um, the one that I'm a part of is called the Great Rivers Harm Reduction, and um, it has uh, needle exchange programs within the health department. Um, we've had a little bit of mixed reviews. So there are some health departments that have a lot of community support. There's been some that do not. Um, we also get grants for different um, needle turn-in, I guess, um, things. Like we have this huge box. It's called like a bear box, I think, where people can um, drop off needles, whether they're for diabetes or drug use, and it'll crunch them up to where they can't be reused. And then we have um, where they come pick them up. So we've used um, uh people's phones when they report, hey, there's a lot of needles in these uh, parks. And then we've put uh, those uh, containers or systems set up in those areas where the communities have complained a lot to where trying to help kind of clean those up. Interesting. Yeah. I couldn't. 
okay, great. So it sounds like uh, so when we when we presented this topic to the city, there was definitely mixed reviews about um, about harm reduction. And so when we get into talking about our Sharps program that we created, um, it's good to have a little bit of background on where the problem of needles kind of came from um, so that people have an understanding. So we have just a few slides here. Um, that we can go through showing a little bit of the research of, of why we are where we're at, where we have a lot of needles in our community. Um, and so uh, the first slide just talks about the opiate epi epidemic. So I think as first responders, both on the fire and the police side, we're well aware of the problems of overdose. And so um, with opiates, um, the average is 115 people a day that die from an opiate overdose. And so very prevalent in our society. Um, the CDC estimates that the economic burden from prescription opioid abuse is $78.5 billion a year. And they came to that figure by looking at a lot of things like lost productivity, um, medical bills, a lot of different things. So, and that's just from prescription opioid abuse. It doesn't get into, um, you know, heroin and things like that. Um, then we get into um, the addiction rates, and so they estimate that 21 to 29 is kind of a wide range. 21 to 29 percent of patients that are prescribed opiates for chronic pain end up misusing them, and then from there, four to six percent of those people that begin misusing prescription opiates transition to heroin. And so we're, I think everyone see now law firms are advertising, you know, were you addicted to opioids, contact us, because there's class action lawsuits going on across the country related to doctors prescribing opiates. Um, it's very controversial, but we, I think on our end, we see all the overdoses. And we sometimes think overdoses happen to a certain you know, group of people, but it's, uh, it goes like, across demographics, um, ethnicities, genders, like there's a lot of um, wealthy people addicted to opiates, however they ended up uh, being exposed to them. So uh, when we set out with our needle cleanup program, one of the concerns was people thought that needle exchange because we have needle exchange in the city of Albuquerque, that's why we have so many needles in the parks. And so when we first set out with our program, we thought we looked into the actual needle exchange. And we'll get more into that um, after the next couple of slides, but I wanna talk about what we thought going into it and what we learned along the way and how we kind of had our own misconceptions as we developed this program. Um, so it's, it's nice this group has a good understanding of what harm reduction is. And so harm reduction itself um, refers to the policies and procedures and programs um, to reduce the harms associated with the use of drugs. Um, and that's in people that are unwilling or unable to stop. And so that's one of the reasons it's so controversial is because everybody just wants to get people off drugs, get them off drugs. And this is really harm reduction is looking at making it safer, um, which is another reason it can be controversial. And so the defining features of harm reduction are the focus on the prevention of harm rather than on the prevention of the drug use itself. So coming from obviously as a law, law enforcement, all of you are law enforcement, um, you're focused on the prevention of drug use. Um, so harm reduction sometimes can be really controversial when you talk to um, other people in public safety. So needle exchange is one aspect of harm reduction, and we're kind of focusing on this because it relates to our program that we implemented in the city. And so some of the benefits, um, when you look at studies of needle exchange, and it's nice that in Rio Arriba, you talked about how you had a decline in hepatitis C. So um, they have studies that show that communities that have needle exchange have a reduction in HIV infection in high-risk populations. And so that's important because HIV, the average cost of medical care for someone with HIV is $400,000. So if we can, and that's just looking at the number and so not even associated that disease with that individual. So it's very costly. So investing in harm reduction as a community can help reduce the um, impact on the system. Um, large numbers of contaminated needles, um, 
sorry, in the public, or lower numbers, sorry, lower numbers of contaminated needles in the public. So if people have access to clean needles, the idea is if I have a clean needle, I don't have to use a dirty needle to shoot up my drugs. So we help reduce that, uh, that spread of disease. One of the benefits of needle exchange in these studies too is that um, drug users are oftentimes very isolated. And so these needle exchange programs are places that they can come. They make personal relationships with the people that work in these, these facilities. They have access to other things like, um, like uh, bleach, hand sanitizer, condoms, other things that help pre prevent the spread of disease. Um, and if they get to the point where they want to uh, stop using drugs, they have, no, they have personal relationships with the people that they've um, met at these at these uh, facilities. Uh, there's also so that is the increased access to education um, and communication with these hard to reach populations. And then the big thing when you look at it from a de the Department of Health's perspective is the reduced prevalence of new infections. Um, trying not to have hepatitis C, hepatitis A, uh, HIV spread throughout your community in a very high risk population. So there. Oh, yeah, I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. So um, you talk about like increased knowledge or education and access. Is it increased usage of that as well, or are we just seeing like yeah we have more education for them, but nobody's actually taking advantage of trying to quit using a drug or an opiate. I haven't seen anything in the research that I've done that talks about like they more like if, if this facility has needle exchange that they have an increased enrollment of five percent in their substance abuse treatment. I haven't seen anything like that, but that would be an interesting thing to look at to see if more people are accessing it when they need it. So, good question. I had a question about the other change. This is Matt saying with APD. And I don't know if you're going to cover this later, but is needle exchange one for one? Like, in order to get a needle, do you have to bring a needle, or can you? So, so there, the one for one is can be very contentious in communities that require one for one. So, from the environmental health perspective, they don't like the one for one exchange uh, because. If somebody doesn't have needles, they're not going to have access to the clean needles. So from the public health perspective, where they're just looking at the spread of the disease, they don't like the one-for-one. One. Now, when we set off with our program, we were actually looking at seeing if we should have a city ordinance to say the only way you get your clean needles are you bring in dirty needles because we know we have needles all over the city that people have access to. And so really when they set out to do <laughs> when they set out to do the research, I was really focused in on trying to prove that one for one was the way to go in a community. But the more I read about the public health perspective of needle exchange, I really, I bought into what they were saying about the spread of disease and that most cities, so one for one could mean that you have to bring in right. something. Um, we used to have kind of a one for one here and our medical director participated in that. And she said, you know, people might bring in three needles, but they always got a bag of 10. So it never was truly one for one. Um, so the term needle exchange might be just. It's a little misleading. Okay. I think. So you don't have to just like clean needles. And, mm -hmm. right. It started there and then it turns into just being able to go and get clean needles. Here's a question or statement. Cicero um, from APD. I totally understand the needle exchange and harm reduction, but as a field service police officer, I have been dealt with. I have been dealt with the public being extremely angry because APD is allowing us to continue mm -hmm. neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Needle exchange along with some help mm -hmm. and addiction is good. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that either. I think, you know, it's, it's frustrating to have needles in your park, you know, as a, as a parent, I shouldn't have to at a city park scan the playground before my kids play on the playground for needles, but that's kind of, where we're at right now. Um, and if you look at what Canada has done, they've really embraced um, needle exchange and um, that you were, I think you call them bear grabbers that, that, that grind up the needles. We have kiosks here, which we'll get to when we talk about our sharks program. Um, and we've had a lot of success there, but communities have really embraced 
places to dispose of needles and, and true um, needle exchange programs and harm reduction have less needles in their community, but you have to really embrace it. So it's, and that's a difficult thing when people are just angry that they see needles at their kids' playgrounds. So I get it. We get, we have the same pressures on our side as well. I have another random question. Yeah. Okay. So this is Matt Tenney again. <laughs> so we, at least here locally, are having an increase in faith-based uh, organizations doing outreach with vulnerable populations. Is a needle exchange program have to be monitored through the state or some kind of red, like legislation or would an organization be able to go and provide safe needles to somebody legally? They have to go through training and through the Department of Health at this, for at least in New Mexico, um, they have to be, they basically, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if the correct term is licensed, but they have to be approved as a needle exchange site by the, the New Mexico Department of Health. And then people that participate in the needle exchange programs have to do an anonymous registration as well. And they get a number um, that they, that they, um, they have to present in, in the exchange for tracking purposes. Now that's how it's supposed to work. I can't say that, I don't know if there's faith-based organizations that just do it, but they should be regulated by the, the New Mexico Department of Health, at least here. Um, any other questions? Okay, we just have a couple more slides. I think one more slide and then we'll talk about our SHARPS program. So, it's always important to look at what the critics are saying, um, and there is also research that shows a few um, research articles out there that show that needle exchange is not the best thing for the community. So you always have to take research with the <laughs> for everything that says it's good. There's gonna be the articles that come out in the research that shows it's bad. So, and I think this is what we can relate to with like our the complaints that our citizens bring to us and they're bringing to our city councilors. So a lot of people believe that needle exchange enables drug use. So, um, and you know, but we can debate that back and forth. Um, would they still use the drugs if they didn't have access? I don't know. Or they just continue to use the dirty needles? Um, there's no definitive answer to that. Um, increasing just injection drug use because they have access to the needles. Um, there's one study out there that I could find that said it increased rates of infection, but when I looked through it, I almost think that they were studying an already at-risk population that probably were infected in the first place, so I didn't really hold a lot of weight to that article. Um, increased financial burden on taxpayers is one of the things that critics will tell you, but a lot of these needle exchange sites are nonprofit organizations and aren't actually even funded with tax dollars. They're donations that come in to, to um, nonprofits. So um, that's not always the case. And also when you look at just the cost of treating somebody for HIV versus the cost of the clean needles, kind of makes sense that it's a little bit more cheap, a little cheaper. And then increased crime near needle exchange sites. That was something that I found in the research. I think where we get into a little bit more um, talk about crime with this is when we talk about a safe injection site. So if you're not aware of what a safe injection site is, I'm sure everybody here is, but it's where you, everything is provided to you in a location to go and take your drugs and inject in that. And that's where I think there's probably a, more of a potential of crime there because there's actually drugs there versus just the exchange of the needles. But uh, to, your, to your point about those sites, and you had referenced Canada before, I think uh, Vancouver mm -hmm. is the area where they had a lot of good research. Those, those sites where um, intravenous, intravenous uh, drug users uh, can go after uh, obtaining clean needles and inject their drugs or what have you. Uh, I believe some of those places in Vancouver are monitored um, 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good model. Um, it's definitely viable. Um, and that, if it's monitored, I do believe it's a way to reduce potential crime or other illicit activity associated with that particular environment. Mm -hmm. If it's monitored correctly and, yeah. Yeah. And there's regulations too. I think they can't be so close to a school and just all these different things um, with that. So I, I don't, you can't really find anything that shows there's increased crime, but that's something that critics say. Um, Jeff Lauder with the APD. I remember like working the Southeast Area Command and the demographics there. It seemed like all the needle exchange um, spots that I knew of um, had a high crime around it just because of the demographics. Mm -hmm. 
But then like working in the Northwest, I kind of tell you where one needle exchange program is and there's no crime in the Northwest in Albuquerque. So I, exactly. There's no crime. Not it's the greatest no ever. But there's, there's little crime compared to the Southeast of Albuquerque. So is, is that more of like, I kind of feel like that's an opinion-based fact of, yeah, there's more crime in yeah. these areas where, we, yeah, we have more needles compared to Northwest. Right. If, we take, if we take the needle exchange site in the Southeast Heights right now, and we, yeah. we measure the data that shows the crime in that area over the past two years, and we take, we have a, we have a van that, or a, like a bus that goes out to the West side. If we take the crime data in that area, it's probably going to show it's more dangerous in the Southeast Heights. I'm getting, right. getting now. Very good. I just had a follow-up question about the safe injection sites. Are there any in the United States yet? Seattle yeah. has them. Seattle, you have to keep in mind, Seattle is like right across the border from right. Vancouver, so they're like one of the first um, you know people to kind of adopt it. But um, it's, they're doing one there. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. but it definitely is. It's not. It's not because Van Vancouver. I'm not Canadian, so I'm not stopping for Vancouver. <laughs> but um, you do have a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking bad luck yet either. But um, for the longest time, Vancouver was known as like the heroin capital of North America. And that's why they've been like one of the leaders towards developing, you know, this model. So I know, you know, we like to make fun of Canada. Canada's America's hat and all of that good stuff. But it's a really good model that they have for um, for new exchange. And I think I think across America we really need to start um, adopting it. Because like this point of like, oh, there's crime there. Well, you know, to, to testament to your point that, well, it's already in a bad neighborhood, if you will. So that, that's a confounder. If you take into account what the crime statistics of the area of some of these sites are located. And I don't know if there have been literature that actually took, did a proper analysis to say, okay, we're seeing this, but hold on a second. There are other factors in play. Right. Yeah. On my troll mobile crisis team, is it a monitored site for while they're high? Is it like a medical site for when the overdose happens and they breach that line? Or? I don't. I don't know enough about safe injection sites. I don't know if you. Um, yeah, Shiva Sharma, I'm a resident physician. Sorry for not introducing myself for previous comments, but yes, they do have. Um, I, I don't know if they're like full uh, full medical personnel, but they're trained enough in emergency services. And that you know, a lot of times cameras are employed just so that you know they can be watched to make sure they're okay in case there's an overdose that someone can you know come and run in and, and the, the patrons of these of these sites they're able to go in do their business know that they're being watched for their safety and then you know kind of continue on with um, you know their daily life. Interesting. We, I would say the majority of our research that we've done has involved mostly, at this point, mostly the needle exchange and the um, and the, the cleanup of the needles. And I've just kind of delved into the safe injection sites. Um, do you know if have they? So if Vancouver was known as the heroin capital of the world, have they seen improvements with the things that they've? I'm not familiar. This, okay. was, this was I think National Geographic. Okay, really good so look into it. Yeah. yeah, look into it. That's interesting. Um, Do you have any knowledge? No, I, mean, I certainly know that Vancouver was sort of one of the leading first sites, like in the in Canada. I lived there at the time, um, but probably across yeah, Canada, the United States, that started the needle exchange program, and they had your vans going up to all certain communities in North Vancouver and South Vancouver and so on. But I haven't lived there for a long time, so I don't know the impact that it's had in terms of its rate or like. The other crime and stuff mm -hmm. like that. This is Neil's resume. I don't know if you guys talked about that, but I think in Denmark, I forget, some European country, they actually have nurses and they inject, the, they help them inject the oh heroin. Oh, the nurses like administer it? Yeah. So they come in and then they they figure out the right dose or whatever the person wants and they inject it and they keep an eye on them and then they go to work. Do they, do they supply they help them find jobs? They help them Do they supply the heroin though? Because what if they get like, what if they have bad no, heroin and they inject it in the No, health? I think they supply the heroin. It's like a medical intervention. Oh my gosh. So the idea is to try to connect them to the community. So they try to help people find jobs and 
And if they want to get substance abuse treatment, they offer that too. But even without, quote, treatment, that people take less and less as they go along, mm -hmm. as they become more connected with the community, and they'll often just stop. Right. So, so we should all move to Denmark. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to give a little bit of introduction into this, and then um, Chief Ortiz will talk about our Sharps program. So when we first kind of started down this path, there's a, as we know in Albuquerque, there's just a large amount of needles, and um, we thought that the fire department was picking up most of those, and unbeknownst to us, parks. The Parks Department and Solid Waste by far pick up more needles than any other city department. Um, unfortunately, it's part of the way they, they sweep the parks to clean them. Um, but we, so doing the research, I realized that all the communities that have embraced needle exchange have also embraced some sort of mechanism to also keep the city clean. We thought that there was an increase in needles in Albuquerque, that we were noticing an increase in needles because of the prevalence of needle exchange sites. But there's that's really just an assumption. I think we also have a really a, an increase in opiate use. And so I don't think that you can correlate needle exchange with the increase in needles. And so when we set out to do this, we were like gung-ho, we're gonna make them one needle for one needle and otherwise you're turned away. And now we're not going that path anymore. Now we're saying, okay, how do we look at this from a public health perspective versus our narrow fire department? perspective that we initially had when we started out. So Chris can talk a little bit about what we're doing here. Are we good on time? Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Steve, uh, Chris Ortiz, I'm the EMS Chief for Albuquerque Fire. So I was tasked with looking at this more from an operational standpoint, um, like the Chief described. We needed to find out if there was an unintended consequence of the needle exchange program, why we were seeing such an influx of needles, or if it was due to opiate use, an increase in opiate use. So when we looked at our data, again, we in about 2016, we responded to roughly a thousand calls for service for needle pickup as a fire department. Um, our response posture for that has typically been in either an engine or a ladder, uh, staffed with three or four firefighters. Um, typically, those calls last anywhere from 20 minutes to 30 minutes, depending on the location of the needle. And we kind of saw the inefficiencies of sending such an expensive apparatus with um, emergency response personnel to be able to pick up these needles. So we started looking at different options. I think one of our first uh, inclinations after talking with parks and finding how many they were responding to was to utilize resources from that department, potentially get two more funded positions to be able to just focus strictly on needles um, throughout the city, at least in public spaces, not necessarily private areas. Um, Unfortunately, that position wasn't quite funded. We're still working on that. So we had to come up with an option B, which was utilizing the resources uh, that were already in place. What we found when we came to a meeting with all the interested parties was there was a lot of city agencies that were already doing something about needles. There just wasn't any centralization of all those resources. So what we did uh, after meeting with the CAO um, was AFR, APD, Parks, uh, Department of Municipal Development, transit and solid waste all got together and we said that we would have a rotation of individuals who are either on light duty status or at least the designated um, personnel on a monthly basis would handle any calls for service uh, that was typically always handled by either parks or fire. So we utilized our 311 system here in the city so citizens could call in either via 311 or via the 1ABQ app and report where they found discarded needles. And then whoever's month, that particular agency would send the representatives out to pick those up. We started this in July of 2017. We took on the first month in July and August. Uh, that month we responded to about 150 callouts for service, uh, estimated picking up about 3,000 to 4,000 needles. Um, and it has, since the program has kind of gained popularity, each agency, month after month, has seen an increase or an uptick um, in the calls for service. I think last month, or towards the end of the summer, anyway, I'm sorry, um, we were looking at about 300 calls for service uh, for the month. So people are, are exercising their, um, are exercising these tools and these resources, and we're getting uh, folks out to clean them up. Now, this is, I'll let you, you have a question, Tom? 
Shiva Sharma, uh, Pradhan Medicine Resident. Uh, sorry for the interruption. So I just wanted to understand um, that the fire department in 2016 had received 1,000 calls versus the first month starting after July of 2017, you received uh, just uh, 150 calls in that month alone. Correct. So, no, absolutely. That's yeah. so, yes. Like we, what we initially thought was we were the big players, like the Chiefs said in that game, we were like a thousand calls for service, we're handling this a lot. And when we sat with Parks, they told us they're picking up thousands per week, solid waste is cleaning out uh, encampments, and just along their routes, they're finding thousands and thousands of needles a week. So, <clears throat> kind of the centralization of these resources, we realized that if they're reporting to one place, we saw an increase of what the numbers are probably receiving throughout the city, or at least now centralized, and we can keep better track of it. And then in 2016, as you, as you described that you were sending like a ladder, three, four firefighters, um, and, and those needles, most of the time, were they just being needles retrieved or were there um, people that were down needing medical care? No, so there was no emergency medical response um, needed at all. Okay. It was strictly just you would send uh, to a million dollar, a million dollar apparatus uh, to pick up one needle at an intersection. Okay. Uh, we realize the <laughs> What happens is sometimes when in community, and I'm sure you see this from the police perspective too, when the community doesn't know what to do and they call 911, it either gets routed to the police or the fire department. And so we have sharks containers because we do, obviously we carry, we, we start IVs and we give medications via needles. So we were able to clean them up, but that really isn't our job, so. And uh, I'm sorry, last point. I did, I did think of an idea which may not be original, but since, since some of the criticism of the needle sharing sites are, oh, these needle sharing sites are, um, you know, the needle exchange programs rather, we are, we are inf creating influx of needles into the community. That's what the criticism is, correct? Mm -hmm. If there was some way that all of the sites utilize the same manufacturer and somehow can encode on the needle that you can kind of look at, hey, it's coming from us. Mm -hmm. That might be, you know, that might be some, because, you know, part of the argument is that, hey, you know, some of these folks are gonna get, you know, needles from, you know, other places or they are using them already. It would be kind of interesting to just kind of look at first since you guys are, since you guys are studying it. And when we discussed it with the, to be fair to those agencies who are doing needle uh, distribution, they um, their task with typically picking up within a quarter mile radius around their distribution site. So they do help with cleanup, which is even another, yet another resource where it wasn't centralized, they were cleaning up and we just didn't know about it. So they, they do participate in that. Uh, it's been difficult with so many different organizations to be able to centralize them into this plan. So we've kind of just focused on the city, but you're absolutely right. There's other options that we can working with those agencies to try to help um, help the problem as well. Um, again, going back to parks where they were picking up thousands a week, um, kind of discussed this problem early on with a representative from the State Department of Health. And he just made mention, well, hey, we have kiosks in Santa Fe. We've been using kiosks, legal kiosks, look very similar to um, commercial mailbox. Um, and he said that they've been using those for needles and that they had six of their older models that they were no longer in service that they had just in storage. They said, hey, if the city wants them, they can have them. So we jumped at it. We um, went and picked up those kiosks and have, they have since been um, placed in six different city parks um, and public locations. Uh, so now on a, every biweekly basis, we have our contracted uh, hazardous material cleanup uh, is going to empty out those boxes. Um, the first box we went to go clean out had about 12 pounds, or I would venture to say 10,000 needles probably inside of it. Um, and that was in the southeast location uh, where the caravan is now. Um, and it was, it was surprising but it, it, uh, when, we, when we cleaned up and saw what, that, what was in there, it was actually, it was kind of give us satisfaction because we knew that without this program, those 10,000 plus needles would have been just strewn around in public places. Um, so it was, so far it's been a success, so we're really happy about it. Um, and then Chris Andrew with UNM, um, psychiatry, I, you probably are going to get into this, like where are those six kiosks and how did you decide where to put those? Oh, well, so that was a little bit, uh, there was a combination of where the needles really needed to go and then we also had some city councilors that have really been helpful with this, um, like uh, Councilor Pena 
has been extremely supportive of all the initiatives that we've been working on with the needles. So in reality, I think um, we the data shows that a lot of the locations are unfortunately in the Southeast Heights where the boxes needed to go. But to be fair, we put a couple on the West side also. Um, but we have, let's see, we have a Caravan East, which is right by Dallas and Central, right by our fire station. That was the, the one that, um, Chris and um, a couple of our staff had to go clean because the, I don't know if you saw, it was on, we put out on social media, the uh, the box was overflowing with needles when they went out to do it. They had to use shovels to get them out. Um, but it was great because it was the majority of the, the waste in there was needles. It was not, it was just a very minimal amount of trash. And we thought whether the community went out and cleaned out a park and threw it in there or However they got in there, they got used, they were really excited. And then the other one's Bel Air Park. Um, Councilor Gibson bought one for Bel Air Park. So we have one at Bel Air Park. Um, Tower Park on the west side, uh, Coronado Park. Uh, uh, Coronado. Yeah, Coronado. Downtown. yeah. Um, there's one now at Coors uh, and Central-ish mm -hmm. area. Um, and Jack and Jill Park. Uh, so they've been kind of strategically placed throughout the city where they would get the highest utilization. Southeast, as we know, is going to get probably the, the highest volume, but um, it's, it's been a success. There was initial questions in regards to the controversy surrounding the kiosk too, right? Same as the needle exchange program. Um, if it's condoning, is it saying that it's okay? And we felt that uh, the safety for the community and the safety for our providers and just having uh, one resource, I think, was outweighed kind of some of the controversial topics and we, we figured it was a start. So we haven't had any security issues with any of the boxes. We had initially heard some stories of folks trying to break into boxes and steal needles, which hasn't been the case. So, so far they've been a success. And Sergeant Silva? Because of course- Yeah, I, I have a question about the exchange program. As Do they offer out um, sharps containers to the people that are um, going to receive their needles or has there been discussion about offering out sharps containers because I know I've encountered that and I think um, like what Deputy Sanchez was talking about earlier um, there's a big concern about accountability with this program in that you know they're handing out loads and loads of needles and you know we're, we're hopefully these people are exchanging them but we don't know that they are and my thing is if we're going to hand out needles, why don't we hand out sharps containers and say that when you bring in your needles in this sharps container, we will exchange them rather than just, you know, depending on their good graces to turn in the dirty needles. So our, the needle exchange sites that we have in the city do hand out sharps containers and they have various sizes that they hand out so that if they're, if they're homeless and carried in their backpack, um, they have some smaller ones. Um, they, 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 there's a variety of, I wish I would have had a picture. I didn't go, but, um, but there's a variety of things that they hand out at those, including the sharps containers. I think when we talk about requiring them to come back into a, within the sharps container, we kind of get back into that discussion of if we're focusing on the harm reduction or if we're focusing on um, isolating the, uh, the the users, and so that's that's I'm glad you brought that up because that seems to be one of the biggest controversies over needle exchange is that that idea of enabling them like they they could just throw their needles in the park right and then come back and get more and inject and throw more needles in the park. So, but what we're hoping is that we can continue to educate even the users. And if you look at how some of the needles are disposed of. Like, you'd be surprised they are the ones that are carelessly thrown, but then there's also ones where, I mean, I don't want to give them too much credit, but they, like, like stick them into, like, bark of trees, or, like, they're sticking the sharp end down, they're, they're consciously disposing of it, which I'm probably giving them too much credit, but I think that if you give, the, um, if you give people the right tools and the education, that I think we'd be surprised how much buy-in that you will get from people. They just, there hasn't been an option in the past for anybody to really dispose of them in a proper way. And we're hoping that if we can expand our sharks program to have more kiosks around the community that people will be more inclined to use those. We were looking at the paths that the homeless use throughout the city, um, placing them strategically there. The problem is they're really expensive. They're uh, just under 2000 for one of these kiosks. Um, and so for us to put up a bunch of them, obviously that's going to take a lot of money. Well, I would imagine the, the price of the biohazard people to go out and 
I mean, that's not going to be a yeah, cheap uh, service. Sure. Uh, you're typically looking at for just if it was just a regular exchange every two weeks, they're charging about $85 per location. So you're looking at about $200 per month uh, just for cleanup for each location. So it has the potential. Um, it has the potential to have some costs associated with it. But like again, we felt we were going to a thousand calls with the fire department for oh, service. That's much more expensive. So the, the, yeah, it was much much higher. So, I want to know who's doing that for eighty five dollars an hour. <laughs> After going the wedding, I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it. That's what I was saying. And I, I'd want the hazard pay. I had to buy these guys lunch after they did it. <laughs> Red Lobster? Officer Ryan with ABD asks, what about miners using the facilities or kiosks? Are they different? I don't know about miners. I, the only thing I know is that you do have to register, but I don't know if you're 13 years old, if there's a restriction on that. I don't have an answer. I have a different question related to that, virtual quote you and I'm psychiatry because I was wondering about registration and what what you require people to actually have for registration. Um, like, do they just say their name or do they just, like what? Because a lot of people don't have ID. Card, I think. But do, do they have to have an ID or do they so not? They don't have to have an ID. It's like a sharps card or. I've never seen it. No, I've seen. Because I've stopped people. I've seen those style shops sharps cards, but yeah. is that is it? What we used to have carried back. Ooh, I don't. I don't know. There, there used to be sharps. Someone had a sharps card. Yeah. Yeah. It might be that. That might be it. There's like a size of like almost like a business card. Yeah, yeah. it's like a credit card. And it had their number and yeah. it said, carrying this, please do not charge this person with access right. and paraphernalia mm. and gave the statement. Yeah. Probably the same thing then. But they just need like their name, like yeah. they have a name to register. Yeah, and it's, it's all done confidentially so that there's no, it, it's, I think it's just mainly for their tracking purposes right. more than anything. Jeff Lowerth with AP, on the Sharps card, um, I'd have to look it up exactly again, but it should be their first initial, last initial, and then last for their social is their number. So that way when they show you the Sharps card, um, you can say, okay, what is your name? It's Jeff Bloodworth, so it should be JB, and then my last for my social. And then what so that way you can confirm it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want the big number too? <laughs> but so that's that's their number, so you can still confirm that that person is that person that they're saying they are. So. And then Denise uh, commented, I agree. I've had different situations with sharp containers. One was that there was none, and I had a homeless subject used old needles to inject himself at a site to get high and had another situation with a campsite filling away sharps into a large trash can. I know before just Sergeant Silva back to when we used to meet with St. Martin's when it's still St. Martin's and their needle exchange they used to give out the same small containers that we used to tag sharps like knives if you remember they're like there was like a tube with the like thick plastic back and that's what we used to give them to to take at least with people experiencing homeless. Getting back to the kiosk, they, they could even use they could even use water bottles. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I personally, when I've seen needles, I've collected them in water bottles. Mm -hmm. I mean, just doing anything we can to make sure that they're actually disposing them properly properly um, is just a great help. Mm -hmm. The kiosks themselves, of course, aren't monitored. There's nobody there monitoring their use. Um, they're simply receptacles. And the ones we've cleaned out thus far, um, like I said, there hasn't been any trash in them whatsoever. Everyone's been um, using them responsibly. And I guess one of the ideas or one of the things we thought about is also not just the um, opiate um, addicted users, but also like diabetics. They don't know what to do with their sharks, so they're typically throwing them out in the trash. So uh, this gives them another opportunity to be able to dump those safely so it protects the um, solid wastes personnel and pretty much everybody else comes into contact with the trash so all good things uh, the one abq app the needles has been added have been added to it so along with reporting fireworks and other nuisance calls um, you can uh, report needles uh, tracks their lat longs so you know exactly where they are uh, we're kind of using that app along with the 311 um, requests for data collection to kind of narrow down where the majority of these needle pickups are going to be um, how many we're picking up so we can show the worth to eventually um, keep pushing to have these as funded positions within the city uh, to we focus on overall um, in the short time it's been in effect it's been um, it's been beneficial and effective so far 
uh, a, a natural centric gene of psychiatry, how many kiosks do you think, how many more kiosks do you think you would need if you had so another division of our department goes and does um, risk assessments at community centers. This is completely unrelated related to active shooter stuff. And when he does his reports, he always comes back and tells me that they talk about needles in there and that they like to clean them up, but they've never disposed them. So we've actually been getting requests from community centers to put them up. So I mean, I could guesstimate that I think we could probably put another. 10 out there and they would probably still get filled. Just guesstimating. How big are the, are the kiosks? Are they like big? Because like in all the public, almost all the public bathrooms in other cities, they have like mm -hmm. tiny little guys that go on the wall that you can just toss them in. Are these, these are like large ones. Yeah, a kiosk itself is about four feet tall and then two by two. As far as it looks as brown box, um, the ones we have so far, um, brown box looks just like a mailbox, has an open door, um, sharps containers at the bottom, so the mail comes right there. The uh, needles just drop into that box, and then it gets opened up from the bottom and cleaned out. So just like a mailbox. Should have shown preventive medicine. Um, is there is there actual like a basis for concern that some folks will try to go in the kiosk and try to reach down in there to get the needle? Is there something that is built into the kiosk that can block the size of a hand um, from going down and just allow like the, the needles to fall harmlessly? bottom at which point you know someone with the authorized access can go in and clean out the door itself when you open it up there is enough access where if it started to fill up like for instance that one we cleaned out there was access to needles if you open that up you could probably touch needles um typically it's, it's going to open it up it's going to have not enough really room to put your hand all the way down into the receptacle we discussed kind of some of these concerns with the state and um what they what they assured us was that uh, even the at-risk population of folks that are using opiates and IV drug users, they, um, they are conscientious of disease themselves. So they said they typically didn't have any security issues of folks trying to get into the kiosk to be able to get any needles or any drugs or any paraphernalia out of there. Especially, I guess, along the lines of the needle exchange program, it kind of prevents the necessity to do that, I guess you could say, because if they have the ability to get clean needles, they're not going to risk their health and safety to be going through dirty needles. Um, they said the only instances they had ever heard of any security issues were folks had dumped needles and inadvertently dumped their stash of drugs or dropped money into the box, and then they would go back into the box to try to get it. But outside of that, they never had an issue with trying people to procure needles from the uh, box itself. So always a concern. Uh, nothing surprised. I don't think any of us as first responders. <laughs> so anything is possible. You haven't possible. been dispatched to anybody with your arms. <laughs> yet, so. I'd be I'd be willing to bet at some point someone will get stuck and sue the city because <laughs> you guys had the sites there and they. And I don't mean is there a sign on it that says yeah. please don't reach in and if you do it's your own. I'd say I'm just, the, the biohazard sticker on it that says sharps and kind of says the danger of what's in there. So I think that's that's all you can do at, at that point. Kind of like when you burn yourself with hot coffee. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. The hot coffee was dismissed as a frivolous lawsuit, I think. They paid out. I just thought of a question you know, for, for, for all of you, and I appreciate all everyone's service as a first responder. I would think you guys need some kind of heavy duty, not even a glove, a sleeve. Like, you know, if, if, if you're handling and disposing this kind of thing, I, I'm not even saying this just. Um, is there funding for, for you all who's... You know, all the city agencies are taking turns every month to go, you know, clean these things. I mean, because that, 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 that would be my first concern for funding. Just be careful. You know, the first responders are well before we send them out to do something yeah. like this. We, so we, the, right now the program is not funded. So every city, like we're kind of coordinating it with parks. So Dave Simon from parks is like our partner in this. Um, he's, I think because they, they carry the brunt of the, the problem. Um, but we have uh, grass, so we have regular PPE, so gloves, goggles, big sharps containers, everything that they need. And then we have these uh, like tongs, these grabbers. Um, if it's so much, I think we've had to shovel things a couple times. But it's not usually big, it's not usually big, it's usually a few here and there. Yeah, and the direction we've given, like, so the fire department, the police, we're a little more, we're a little more accustomed to dealing with these situations. 
it's difficult for us to ask folks from transit, you know, DMD to say, okay, you're going to go. So we tell them just to just be judicious in, in what they want to do. Like if there's a if there's a needle, there's a safe way to pick it up. But if they're encountering a homeless camp, like there's not the expectation that they're going to clean that out. So we're trying to I just ask the folks that are participating in the program for now to use good judgment. And I think as these positions get funded, there'll be more of like a standard operating procedure on how we move forward. And I know, unfortunately for the police, I think our equipment, when it comes to that kind of stuff, like safety, we have to buy out of pocket. So, like, if you want gloves with Kevlar, you have to buy those. You're not given that kind of equipment. You know, we when, when I was at a station, we would have officers stop by and ask for gloves. And we, yeah, I, would, gloves. I mean, we have plenty of gloves. Like, if an officer needs no, absolutely. gloves, we're... Absolutely. In relation to this program here, the fire department is... Uh, is basically donating or getting all the uh, personal protective equipment for the programs to all these agencies as they need protective equipment and stop by our pharmacy and we replenish them as needed. So we're keeping track of everything so that we're trying to get it funded in the next year. So positions in parks to do this full time um, and equipment and everything. So we're, we're hoping that Dr. Santi, you had a question. Um, yeah, so just uh, I think somebody was talking about, oh, maybe you mentioned that you have, you know, sort of a, a sticker on the kiosk saying, like, what's in it, like, you know, be careful. Are there other stickers on there talking about, like, where resources are in the community if somebody wanted to get help for their prediction? No, I don't think that currently there's any type of uh, information in regards to that, but that's a great point. Um, the boxes were pretty much um, blank when we got them, so everything we've added has just been my what the city has done. Yeah. So I think that would be a, an excellent mm -hmm. idea for, for resources. Yeah, like some stickers, you mm -hmm. know, just in case. I mean, I doubt very much it's going to make much of an impact, but it's the right you know, thing like one yeah. or two people. No, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, my Trulo Mobile Crisis Team, um, sometimes I'm the king of stupid ideas, but all this expense with all these agencies and sending fire engines to the, what if we give them an incentive to clean up their own? Add a, like a recycling fee to these syringes either when they're purchased new or pool this money and, you know, if someone comes in with a thousand needles, it's $10 bill or something and they will clean up their own like aluminum cans, scrap metal and bottles. That's actually not we, a bad idea. That's not the first time we've heard that idea. Somebody else kind of. Oh. <laughs> well, so I'm just. There's the, another the, genius in I think when he proposed it to us, though, he was like, you know, like the Boy Scout troops, they need to raise some money. And I was like, oh, I don't want Boy Scout troops. <laughs> I think that this consumer base right. will right. clean up their own if there's an incentive to do yeah. so, even if it's minimal. Yeah. Just good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions or, you know, we have other communities. Is there a way that you're handling needles that you find out in the community? I'm actually curious, Jackie, do you guys get issued equipment for needle stuff? Um, no, <laughs> uh, we have just the rubber gloves and we don't even have sharps containers in our cars. I have a, um, those scent boosters, you know, that you buy to wash your clothes. Um, I carry one of those. That's my sharps container. <laughs> that's my personal Pringles cans. I tell the officers to use water bottles. Water bottles are really thin, so we don't recommend them. But no, we don't even have sharps containers. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I don't think we actually get formal training on picking up needles either. I don't think so. Either. We're just like, just you're a cop. Here's the world's yeah. problems. Figure it out. Like, in, okay. our, in our training, it's very specific. In medical training, like you yeah. have to learn how you pick it up, and you don't. Yeah. So, but in like, don't health, touch them. Pointing it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. That's basically all you need to know. But environmental health, also our environmental health department in the city does <laughs> uh, does. For cleaning up sharks. Like Corey's just call AFR. Because I will tell you, you guys issued out the uh, warning about Hep A, and it really shocked a lot of people because it said like uh, hand sanitizer doesn't clean. Yeah, and that's like our go-to in our mind as cops. Like 
there's some blood. I got blood on me. Picked to this needle. Oh, hand sanitizer. You're good. And you're just like, hand sanitizer doesn't work. What? What? <laughs> well, you can do it in a car, so where are you going to have access? That's right. why we said go wash your hands at a fire station if you need to. So, so sorry. <laughs> so, in, in, in reference to your comment about Hepe, two things. Um, you know, New Mexico has been, this is a different public health topic, and I'll keep it very brief. We're having issues with folks that don't like to vaccinate. Even though have you know have a you know it's it's a it's a vaccine uh, vaccine preventable. Another thing is you know you can get a vaccine for a condition and it can still contract it. So it's you know any any of the any of the I guess the clinical term is hepatitis, which is for all there is hepatitis is fair game. We're more concerned about have, you know it's in order of infectivity is Hep C, HIV, and then Hep B from. Uh, most trans most transmissible to least. Mm -hmm. so. Don't tell me vaccines aren't there. I just got mine today. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you can stab yourself with needles all day. I was like, well, I don't need needles anymore. <laughs> and then I scraped them off. Oh, hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys were talking about education for law enforcement as part of our CIT and part of the educational portion of it for our needle exchange. The person who does it actually talks to officers about how to search a person with needles and how to prevent yourself from getting a needle stick and talks about like local statistics. You know, is it like three out of four law enforcement officers will get stuck by a needle? So he does a lot of that education and different ways of searching, whether with your aspartame or they actually have um, things you can buy to help you sweep people's pockets for needles. So there's some interesting stuff out there. They teach you, I just wanted to make sure you just got this, to use your ASP to check somebody. Well, you know, you get to open up their pockets and like shine a flashlight in before you stick your hand in anything. So just ways to do things without using your hand so you don't get a needle stick. But the funny thing is he brings these tools, let's call them, to actually like sweep a pocket without sticking your hand in there. And uh, it's a little weird. I don't, but you know, he'll bring like the Kevlar gloves. And so he's a retired law enforcement officer from uh, New York City. And he's very entertaining and he's very knowledgeable. But yeah, he goes through like different techniques and talks to you about, you know, don't reach into people's pockets and proper search procedures and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure on our department with our current settlement agreement, if we pulled out our baton <laughs> to search someone, we'd get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, well. Enjoy it while you have it, Jackie. You need a baton hey, I, hey, I rock my baton all the time. <laughs> <laughs> This last slide. Oh, do you guys have any other questions for the chiefs? All we had left was our information. They need to get a hold of us. Should we just email you when we see a needle? Yes, please. We get them all days anyway. Every three one one. How about a postcard? I was honestly surprised when you said that you guys got dispatched with. I never realized that. Yeah. yeah. I would have never oh, thought they so would dispatch you for that. I'm surprised that we get dispatched too. <laughs> yeah. They're always coded as hazmat calls or hazardous materials calls. So on our coding, 65 alpha, so that's what we responding. But I guess I'm so confused because, like, uh, you guys don't clean up hazmat. Like, uh, self-inflicted hazmat. No, I think it was just kind of a catch-all, catch-all to be able to dispatch units out. And I think, like, the chief was uh, explaining everything that you know, as we know, everything that you don't really know what to do, call 911, and we just historically had been continuing to send out to, to hand address these, and no one ever really stopped to ask why. So once we learned what everybody else was doing, we figured it was time to do something a little bit different. This isn't the perfect answer, but it's, it's I think it's a step in the right direction. And then Denise wrote that she agrees with Lawrence at least make them accountable for what they decided to do. She went to a camp that had numerous needles and two large buckets of feces, they could be there. We're trying to protect these folks. At least they could do is protect us. It would be interesting. Right. So if, if we were to, if someone was to um, like contact us, or like you were mentioning that you 
are at the community center. We're required to do much more community meetings now.